nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Welcome to the Managing Madrid Podcast, where we are recording on a beautiful Sunday night, sunny skies across Virginia, Texas, all of Canada, not only literally, but also figuratively, because Real Madrid are top of the table, and Karim Benzema, the greatest striker in Real Madrid history, has not only scored, but also scored a controversial goal right after Real Sociedad <laughs> had a goal disallowed, and then everyone's tears are just flowing like rivers of sodium, and that's what it feels um, that's why I feel so good to at the top of the table overlooking the Salty River. We're here to break it all down. Real Madrid's win over Real Sociedad in all its glory. And joining me, Keon Sobani, is Omarvin and Matt Wiltsey. Gentlemen, how you doing? Um, I'm, I am, I'm enjoying myself. Um, that, the performance, I have mixed feelings about. Didn't think it was the greatest performance. Um, but it feels good to be at the top man it it felt good to come away with that win and what really is kind of driving my high at the moment is that Vinicius performance um you know not imperfect in some of the ways that Vinicius is but ultimately at the end of the day game changing and I thought he was the one consistent factor throughout the entire match that was creating danger and at this point I just every time I see Vinicius do something given the inconsistent playing time the fact that Hazard is obviously number one over him I'm I'm really rooting for him to take whatever chances he has and shows that like you know the the talent he showed last season is still very much there and still improving and that especially in these bigger moments like Real Sociedad definitely a big team in La Liga this season that Vinicius can step up and make a difference. So and oh I'm ready just fully ready to get into a, a Vinicius love fest here. I, I'm feeding <laughs> off of uh, Keon's energy too. I mean, what a, what a great intro. We're top of the table. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I was a fullback. So I about it from a fullback perspective, at, at least at the, what, at the highest level I played, I played fullback. So I think about it from a fullback perspective and I think about having to mark Vinicius jr. And play against him. Oh my God, what a nightmare. You're just the whole time. You're going to be, you can't get too close. You can't be too far away. He'll burn you anyways. Like you saw, um, they had to sub out Garasabel for uh, El Estondo, who's a center back. He played right back and multiple times. He was just caught trying to pull Vinicius down by his shorts. Like you saw today how lethal and electrifying his pace is. Like it's, it's literally unbelievable. And just you, I you always feel like he's going to do something dangerous when he gets isolated on that wing. Uh, obviously, we're still we still need him to clean up that final pass and that final shot. But I, I do think that will come. I do think that will come. But just such ah, he's such a lively player and X factor. I love I love watching him. So so there's so many. Well, to piggyback off of that, Zubeldia not being available for Real Sociedad, I think, really hurt them. Um, if you go back to that November game, Gorosabel played too. Sorry, Zaldua. 
um the disease man the disease makes me up <laughs> yeah um, yeah so the same thing happened in november when these two teams played at the Bernabeu, where gorasabal had to play at right back and vinicius just murdered him like straight up murder 11 completed dribbles that day i think he had five key passes he was like one of the few bright spots and by november sorry i meant the february copa del rey exit where vinicius was one of the few bright spots in that game yeah. Um, and so I was looking at that and Gorosabal again today. I thought Gorosabal did better, to be honest, but I think this is the point about Vinicius that we all have to um, be really, really grateful for and excited about his development is that no matter what, no matter what happens, you know you're going to get certain things from him. His very, very like low baseline, floor, basement, whatever it is, um, is that he brings a ton of energy on the left flank. He brings line-breaking ability. Sometimes he may not pull it off. And today, let's be honest, he had a couple friendly bounces go his way. And um, and a ton of defensive work rate. I mean, that's one of the things I wanted to ask Zidane that I didn't get to ask today. Um, the press conference quotes are up. Um, and, uh, and every single question was about the referee, which Zidane was annoyed about. But... One of the things I wanted to ask him was about Vinicius's defense. Because if you look in this game, Vinicius, I mean, Porto had no chance getting anything in transition because Vinicius was always there tracking. On one instance in the end of the first half, too, he was in the middle of the park, uh, ended up fouling Odegaard, but basically just all over him, making sure Odegaard doesn't get any space to transition. Uh, and actually, to be honest, it was a good tactical foul. So he has just a lot of energy, which, you know, sometimes needs to be channeled, and that's fine. Growing pains, whatever. Is he still a teenager? He's not 20 yet, right? So yeah, that's, 19. You, so that's. I mean, everything was from that perspective was awesome. But also today, obviously, he had, in addition to the defensive coverage and the dribbling, which, which was kind of hit or miss, but overall, he earned the penalty. And this was a good Dionysius performance. Yeah, so I'm glad that naturally... Both of you have just touched on different things for Vinicius' performances. Matt specifically talking with, with his insight, um, playing as a, full, as a fullback at the college level, just talking about how difficult it is to deal with Vinicius. And then, Keon, obviously, you mentioning his defensive work because there were so many things you could really talk about in, in this Vinicius game. Um, for me, one thing that really caught my eye because it's something that I think can be extrapolated just as a general comparison with the rest of the squad, is just the types of movements he made. So I, I think Vinicius is really unique in what he provides us in the sense that his movement is always really direct and almost always looking at, 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 at trying to, to break off the shoulder of the last defender. And really since Gareth Bale, you know, years ago, I, we just haven't really had that from a wigger. Um, and that's not necessarily a knock on the effectiveness of the other players we have. It's more of just a stylistic element, right? Because obviously Hazard, that's not Hazard what Hazard does. Hazard is more of a link-up player. He helps progress the ball, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, Hazard is a lot better than Vinicius at this present moment. So it's not it's not an it's not an observation on like quality, but stylist but but style. And I think in this particular game, Vinicius' style of, of, of running and his style of movement shows you what it can bring to a team that's trying to press you high, trying to maintain a high line. Vinicius just at all times, he was either running off the shoulder of the defender to get into space or he was dropping deep to facilitate facilitate some type of combination with Kroos or Marcelo 
thereby kind of dragging the right back with him. And then he'll just spin in behind him and he's gone. Right. And like Matt was saying, right. You, you, you can't just leave Vinicius there to receive the ball because then he can turn and run at you. But if you stay too tight to him, he's just going to spin around you. And that was the that's the entire conundrum that Vinicius puts fullbacks into all the time. And that's how, unlike any other player we have in the squad at the moment, Vinicius is constantly able to run into space, run at the box with space behind him and in front of him. And that's invaluable in a game like this. And that's what ultimately ended up leading to him cause like that, that was kind of the center of our offensive strategy in the first half, like the thing really causing the most danger, except for that one moment where Benzema got, got that like tough chance on the counterattack. And then obviously on the goal where he gets that lucky bounce, but then does brilliantly to nutmeg the defender and, you know, not clearly impeded, but I think ultimately having watched the angles like a million times, I think he was needed and a correct penalty was given. Do you want well, to just skim through it. all those referee decisions really quick, get them out of the way? Yeah, we have me, to at some point. They're actually, they're actually, I don't know if clear is the right word, but I think they're all the right call, technically speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some people, mm-hmm. some people are upset just because, I, you know, I, I, saw, I saw a couple narratives floating around on my Twitter that um, though they were correct, the problem is that they all went Real Madrid's way. In which I'm just like I'm not sure what you want. Like that's kind of that's kind of football. That's life. Those are called rules. That's how it works. Sorry if like yeah. PK tried to fuel something, and now it's now we put fuel on the fire, and it is what it is. It was three decisions. I don't know if um, if people force foresaw three decisions that were quote unquote controversial, but let's just go through them and feel free to jump in and correct me at any time that I'm incorrect here. But the first first one was just I mean. You can say it was soft if you want. A soft penalty is a penalty. And then the second one, Courtois' line of vision, was impeded. And the third one, the handball rule is... is I don't know if the word clear is, is true because if it was, then most people would know the rules. Um, but a quick fact check in the FIFA rulebook, which is a quick Google search away for everybody, says that... Uh, basically that if the ball is if it's underneath the armpit then it's a handball if it's above it it's it's not considered a handball and so those are my understanding of the rules in those three sequences if i'm wrong if i'm if i'm saying incorrectly feel free to jump in uh, I, 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 yeah i think that's you're exactly right and that's how i viewed it as well i mean it, yeah it went all real madrid's way but that those are the rules Right, and obviously we're Real Madrid, like people are gonna be all right, Real Madrid fans saying it's all correct, and I mean that that's true, right? There's like we have an an undeniable bias towards Real Madrid, but I'll just just speaking. I mean, I'm sure Matt feels the same way, but I I haven't heard him speak on this, so I'll just speak for Kian and, and myself. But we've been very clear about you know when referee decisions go Barca's way, we're not on the podcast being like this is a conspiracy that you know Barcelona are being favored and right. There's certainly plenty of options to do that, right? That's why it's so funny to see Barcelona fans losing their minds after all the you know favorable decisions they've gotten. It's just how it goes. Big like these are all correct, right? But we've certainly gotten decisions where I I'll readily admit where the decision shouldn't have gone Real Madrid's way, but we all know that just the big teams just happen to get you know, those decisions going their way, specifically in La Liga, like Real Madrid and Barcelona happen to get more decisions than everyone else. Like, I'll readily admit that. So, like, you know, for I, I don't know who I'm convincing, but, like, 
whoever whoever I can, like we are truly trying to speak, like look at this from an objective sense, right? Like I, I don't think there's any conspiracy either way. Um, I just think they're big teams were able to bring the pressure on referees in ways that other teams aren't. And in this particular case, maybe that pressure helped. But ultimately, I believe that based, you know, based on the rule book, based on what the text says, all the, the decisions ended up being correct. And I thought they made those decisions fairly quickly, those correct decisions fairly quickly, which I was rather impressed with. So I thought, you know, all said and done, the ref, this is some like one of the best refereeing performances I've seen, given the difficulty on those decisions and the speed with which they dealt with them. Um, okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's all true. I think, uh, and one of the things we've been vocal on the Chudozi Tacticas podcast, which consists of a Real Madrid fan and a Barcelona fan, I think we're, we're both accepting the fact that this, and this is more of a general thing and it has nothing to do with this game in particular, but that the referees, the refereeing in Spain is, is wildly incompetent for every single team. And you, like if you watch La Liga from top to bottom, you'll know that every single team from Mallorca, Leganes, Valladolid, Villarreal, Sevilla, Levante, Valencia, everyone, Abar is screwed almost weekly, and no one talks about it because it's not Real Madrid or Barcelona. But it's just, it's just, there's a lot of incompetence either way. Um, let's talk about the starting lineup, Matt. The curveballs today. Really, like we we kind of talk about always like the locks who are in the starting lineup who we just will we know we will see on the team sheet no matter what. Part of part of me thinks that some of you know some of that train of thinking has to go out the window because we're just we're still dealing with a pandemic here, and people are out of shape. It's very clear people all over Europe are getting injured on their return to football, and um, while Eden Hazard is the lock in any normal world. Um, he's not going to be playing every second of every game. So he was on the bench. It's still a surprise, regardless. Still a surprise that he was on the bench to me. Um, then James, of all people, who I'm not sure. It almost feels like Zidane is just trying in some ways just to really screw with all of us because we were talking about like literally in unlikely events of James ever getting playing time. And that Lucas Vasquez will somehow leapfrog him. And Asensio just scored a goal upon return. So, like, all the stars lined up that if anyone was going to go into that attacking third, it would be Asensio. But he put James in there. So, I mean, I'm happy to talk about, like, maybe the decision to do that in that, you know, maybe maybe Zidane went into this game liking what he saw in training and thought to himself, I want to give half this game to Asensio, half this game to James. And he thought maybe, well, I'll give it to James because Asensio can change the game off the bench and I'll split it up that way. Either way, I'm not questioning that decision, but I think James's performance has to be talked about. I think there are plenty of excuses to excuse his poor performance, and that is, well, we're coming back from a pandemic and things are just excusable right now. There's more more of a leash uh, with things that go wrong because of it, but it is hard to defend a lot of the stuff that he did today in that his passing was sluggish, it was poor. He understandably maybe looked um, leg-heavy, but his passes were straight-up just weak sauce on a lot of these attempts. Under-hits a lot of balls, forces a few crosses when he didn't need to. Um, a couple nice like one-touch passing with Fede linking up on the right side, but um, and maybe one or two good sequences of defensive coverage, but I, didn't, I wasn't enamored with his performance. I didn't think it was very good. Um, mind you, this was his first game since October. So what did you think? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot to unpack there, and I guess I start kind of with 
just the overall lineup and the rotations. I mean, I think we have to put in perspective. I mean, I didn't expect James Rodriguez. That was the big surprise, but I did expect changes because we played two days ago. I mean, a little more than two days ago. There's not, especially for those wing positions and those fullback positions where you're doing probably the most running in Zidane's system, that you need two days is not enough rest, especially with more games coming. Uh, we obviously have another game on Wednesday. So I, I did expect some rotations, but obviously I don't think anyone expected James Rodriguez. Um, and yeah, I thought James was kind of a victim. I think he struggled with Real Sociedad pressed really well in the in the first half. And surprisingly, I thought Real Madrid played uh, through it really well. And uh, Vinicius was just an easy target to play the ball over the top and use his speed and exploit that space uh, over the high line of Real Sociedad. And so that that worked really well. But you didn't on the opposite side, I felt like James had to keep coming deep. And then there was there was so many Real Sociedad players around him pressing him that he didn't have too many options to work with. And yeah, he looked a little rusty. I did think, though, I did think in the second half he looked a lot better. Um he was able to roam around a bit more. I think Fede moved to the moved over to the right wing. Hamas came centrally a bit more, um, and I felt like he was able to get into the game. He had some better touches, and I think that's why. I mean, I I assumed Zidane was going to take him out earlier than he did. He didn't come out until the 79th minute, um, and so I think that's because he had a better second half and was really getting into the game. But I'm sure Ohm's going to want to touch on this, and I agree with with this point is that. I don't think it was more like James has played the right wing so many times throughout his career, and he's done it for Real Madrid. And I don't, I don't think it was necessarily an issue with his position. I just think it was uh, the system that Real Sociedad were playing, his his rustiness coming back from his last game. His last start was in October. And then um, just his in, his inability, his struggle to kind of play through their press. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a it's like a tired discussion by this point, right? Like there, if there's just like the factual, um, it's, it's just facts that like Hamas has played in the right wing several times. I mean, there's more dispute over whether you think he's played well or not. I I think like indisputably most of the time when he's been deployed there, he's he's been he's been great there because yeah, sure, whatever he lacks speed, but Hamas lives in the right half space regardless of whether he places the number ten as a right central midfielder or right winger. So like the spaces he's occupying are more or less the same and he's not really being asked to play like a Lucas Vasquez role because he's cutting inside influencing the midfield playing like through balls crosses from there so like yeah I mean it's it, that that is absolutely not the issue with Hamas's performance today and like Zidane selecting him like I just I was not surprised at all actually um by what I saw from him what how he performed was exactly what I expected um we're talking about a guy that has played what like I think um looking at who scored right now he's played i think six games or he's had six starts across la liga on the champions league in total two in the copa del rey um he and i think most of the starts going back towards the very very beginning of the season right and then he's he's had numerous injuries throughout the season which is actually what first stopped him from getting back into the squad and then he's like not played pretty much forever until the copa del rey games um, you know, t- towards the end of the season before it got stopped. So you have all of those factors, right? Injury, irregular playing time, not going not back just this season, but the year before. He comes back after three months of no football. And 
it, it was it was a little sad to be honest to watch Hamas kind of struggle to control on the half turn, just struggle to bring basic balls under control in one touch and then look up and play those decisive passes that he's, you know, th- that's who I expect Thomas to be, right? Like immediately controlling the ball, knowing all the options around him and playing the decisive pass. But when 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 I saw him receive the ball, it was one, two, three, four touches, get get under control. And like Keon said, like a weak sauce pass. So yeah, that was a bit, that was a bit sad to me to see because I, I, I know what the real, the old Thomas looks like. And but it, but it was also unexpected, which is why I was quite, quite surprised to see Zidane select him. Um, I agree with you, Matt, that, that rotations were necessary. I expected rotations. I was I was quite excited to see Vinicius over Hazard there because I was not sure whether Zidane was going to be brave enough to make that um, rotation. But seeing Hamas there, it's like you have all the options in the world, right? Like, absolutely, I agree with you. Make the rotations on the right wing, but you have Rodrigo. You have Asensio who didn't play a full game last time. You have even Lucas Vasquez. There's Brahim Diaz there. So, like, he kind of looked at all those options and was like, Hamas Rodriguez is going to be the one, and I'm not exactly sure why. Um, and really, I think Zidane is, is really the only guy who can answer that question. Unfortunately, Keon didn't get any chances to ask any questions, and it was all about the refereeing decisions, so I guess we'll never know. Interesting enough, his last appearance was actually against Real Sociedad in the Copa del Rey, where he, where Zidane didn't play his full-strength lineup, which maybe he underestimated Real Sociedad because they played... Um, they played a lot of quote-unquote B-team players and they lost and they had a lot of trouble. And part of the issue with that game too was that Nacho was the right back, James was the right winger. Naturally, he didn't have a lot of coverage on that wing because of it and Militao had an amazing game that game because he had to cover for a lot of that right side but also coming over to the left and he played really well. But um, And then before that, the last time he played was in the league, the disaster against Mallorca. Um, in Mallorca, where Isco was the defensive midfielder and Hamas is on the right wing in a four-four-two, so <laughs> let's talk about the October, de- right? October. Yeah. Yep, yep. Wait, hold up. Let me. Let, let, I just want to say one more thing about Hamas, which I somehow forgot in my long spiel about him, which is that yeah, he didn't have a great game at all, but I was impressed with his effort. And actually, on the the, the second goal we scored. Um, it was really scrappy, right? And build up from the right. We also see that pressed us well. They actually won the ball. It was Hamas who ended up winning the ball back for the final time and playing that switch over to the left that like basically started that entire sequence. So not a great game at all, but he ended up having like a decisive um, moment in, in what turned out to be the winning goal for Real Madrid because for, for all the things that he did, his effort was was kind of the major positive there. Like, he didn't stop running, he didn't stop pressing, he ended up winning that crucial tackle. He had a team high of five tackles, too. I mean, I, when I saw that on Who Scored, I was taken back. I didn't realize he had put in that much defensive effort, but then when, when you think back to it, he did. I mean, he was tracking back not, with Nacho uh, the Carvajal. whole game, and so... No, oh, Nacho Monreal. Well, Nacho the left yeah. Yeah, Monreal. <laughs> I, I blanked on his last name. Is uh, I've never heard name. anyone refer to Monreal as Nacho before. I kind of yeah, I blanked. I blanked. <laughs> no, I I didn't have any issues with his effort either. I I thought his effort effort was fine and in yeah. fact pretty good. Um, and I and again I I I've said this before, but I've made a basically I have a rule going into this, um, coming back from this quarantine that I'm not going to be too harsh on players when upon coming back because I. I imagine it's not easy, mm-hmm. and a lot of players have been vocal about this is going to be difficult. We're not ready. Guardiola himself said he, you know, he didn't think his team was ready going into that game against Arsenal, uh, or at least 
or at least playing a game every three days. He just said, you know, we're not equipped. A lot of big name players and coaches have been vocal about this. And we've already seen people going down. And this is just the the physical side of things. I think you could tell just looking at James that his legs looked just a bit heavy. They looked a bit heavy. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm understanding of that and I appreciate the effort. And I'm, you know, I'd be happy that if this was the icebreaker, maybe he goes on to do certain things. But I also wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see James again until 2025. So um, I don't know. I just, I just don't know. <laughs> um, defense. Uh, I think it's, and this kind of will bring into the discussion, um, just discussion about Real Sociedad in general and Martin Odegaard and what's going on with them. Um, since returning from quarantine, this is their third game now. The first two have not been great. Um, one of them against Alaves, they just got completely overrun. They didn't create anything. I think they had one shot on goal in that game, and it was uh, Lenormand header from a corner in the second half, deep into the, into the second half. And then the first game against Osasuna, their flanks got overrun, and they just had no coverage on the wings. This game, uh, and also obviously Martin Odegaard hasn't been at his best, which Matt and I have spoken about on the loan tracker. And he had an injury coming in. And he had a niggle in something, I yeah, uh, heading into this yeah. game. So, I, I I do think this ties into Real Madrid's defense also because Real Madrid, without Hazard and a little bit handicapped offensively too because James was not his best, they didn't really have much going offensively. In fact, really their most dangerous kind of moment in the first half was when Fede intercepts a pass high up the pitch and then Benzema gets a shot on goal. Um, I mean, that was one of the big moments apart from a Vinicius shot early. So... Mm-hmm. Real, in the meantime, so to kind of, I think, to me, to help balance this a little bit, not needing as many goal-scoring chances to win a game is to just making sure you don't concede any chances. Real Sociedad had one shot on goal. Or sorry, one shot inside the box. Um, no, they didn't. They didn't have a single shot inside the box in the first half. And then... Overall, they had... Yeah, it was just two shots outside the two box. Two shots outside the box in the first half didn't threaten. One from Odegaard and one from Lenormand from way, way, way out. Um, so they pretty much did everything they needed to defensively. I mean, and I think this some of this has to go down to Vinicius. You guys mentioned Jaimes already. Varane had a great game. Ramos was pretty good. Um, the press was generally pretty good, I thought, from both sides. And so yeah, was the build-up from both sides. But it was just the final third that neither side could really get going. So I think it's just worth pointing out again, the defense was good. Real Sociedad grew into the game in the second half, which we can talk about. But that first half, um, I thought defensively, Real Madrid were pretty much, they had everything under control. Well, that's, yeah, so, go go ahead, ahead. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's been the story of the season, right? I mean, there's this unbelievable turnaround in our defense and, the historic numbers we're putting up. I mean, uh, Real Sociedad's XG in this match was 0.48 versus Real Madrid's of 1.31. Uh, and then you look to last match where we basically shut Valencia out to, a, I think it was 0.12 XG. Um, and so, I mean, on just these are phenomenal numbers. The team's playing really well. Um, even Marcelo today, I thought, looked really good and looked good defensively, too. Um, and I mean, Carvajal had a fantastic game. Varane was a monster once again. And even after he got like body slammed, Casemiro pushed, I forget which real associate that player into him, but he makes a huge tackle on um, Marino and then gets body slammed by another real associate that player and still just keeps his 
calm, composed head. I mean, I love that about Varane. And uh, the, the whole defense were, to your point, were, were phenomenal. And I think um, they even dealing, kind of building out from the back, dealing with that Sociedad press that we talked about in the first half. I mean, that, that was crucial, crucial to Real Madrid being able to create any type of opportunities to get Vinicius going. And I think, I mean, we really, we really do have to highlight our back line and the, that defensive just overall output. Yeah. Um, at some point, we do have to touch on, like, we also see that's press as well. But since we're on the topic of Real Madrid's, um, it, it was pretty good. To me, this was kind of the critical factor for the great first half defensive statistics that Keon was talking about, but also for why we ended up conceding not necessarily like the greatest chances, but definitely way more shots and a lot more dangerous situations that could have turned into shots after essentially Benzema's second goal. And it, to me, it had to do with kind of the receding of the press. So the first half, we have either Valverde or Kroos, mostly Valverde stepping up to, to aid Benzema to go two versus two on the center backs. Um, and, you know, press from a 4-4-2 like really high up on all of Real Sociedad's goal kicks and all of that. And essentially kind of all the midfielders kind of like taking up positions to kind of shut off like one, the defensive midfielder, and then whichever wing they play to the near side options. Like we did that fantastically as opposed to last game um, or I can't remember his last game or the game before, but like in terms of like the pressing just seemed a little more confused in terms of, you know, who was doing what in the middle of the game. To me, it felt like every single time we knew it was going to be 4-4-2 pressing structure with one or cross of Valverde stepping up, depending on which center back the ball was played to. And then you go from there. And, and, and to me, that's the most key thing about high pressing, right? Is that you have clearly delineated roles. Everyone knows what they're supposed to do in each particular build-up situation. There's only so many that can occur, um, especially when you know you're playing against Real Sociedad with a particular type of build-up. Um, and so when you have that clearly delineated and you have maybe one or two instances where it breaks apart, you, it's, it's much easier to adjust. And, and you saw that throughout the kind of first half of Real Madrid doing a really good job pressing and then receding into a good defensive shape when on, on, on certain occasions, Real Sociedad broke through. I will say we could have been, cause, cause Keon was talking about how the final third passing wasn't there. I thought Odegaard being off clearly affected them a lot, right? Because in yeah. terms of, as I, I mentioned, Real Sociedad's build-up structure, it, it's typical in the sense that you have the defensive midfielder, in this case, Zubeldia, and then the other central midfielder, Marino. They don't form quite a double pivot, but they're deeper enough that it's kind of like this asymmetric double pivot, whereas Odegaard is the player that mostly kind of pulls away between the lines to provide that vertical option. So once we also see that beats that initial press, it's about finding Odegaard between the lines. And he's the critical factor when it comes to the providing that verticality and breaking into breaking into the final third and attacking the team in semi-transition. And Odegaard just wasn't up to it today. There, there were a lot of there were a lot of times where I just thought Odegaard receives, okay, it's a good reception. And he's just half a second too slow to make his decision and a tackle is made or he's obstructed enough that he can't and he, he ends up not being able to make a forward pass. So in that sense, I would say Real Madrid weren't tested. But most of the time I thought, you know, Real Madrid did a really good job pressing, especially in the initial phase. The second half after Benzema's goal, probably down to tiredness, probably down to having played um, you know, the game just two days ago, like Matt was talking about, and maybe just because we saw we were 2-0 two, two, two up, which is more problematic, our press really faded. 
Um, we were still playing from a high. It, it's not problematic that the press fades if you decide to recede into a deeper defensive shape. The issue is that we kept a high block without pressing. So all of a sudden, Real Sociedad really starting in the 70th minute were just playing through us way too easily, right? Like they were able to stretch us any way they wanted to, and that end and, and defensive work rate couldn't could, couldn't do anything because on the goal that Real Sociedad scored, right? Vinicius tracking back really hard. Keon talked about his defensive work rate. Vinicius tracked back really hard, but because of our high block and how stretched out we are, there was just no way he would be able to make up that space. So um, Real Sociedad had all the time in the world to play to the right and then end up putting that cross in that like Marino makes this blindside run and ends up scoring. So, yeah, it, it on the one hand, like great first half execution. But once we decided we were stop, we're going to stop pressing that made things a little, a, a lot shakier than it should have been when we were 2 0 up. And towards the end of the game, I was actually quite scared that we were going to bottle it. So, yeah, I, that offensive wasn't great, which um, I guess we'll talk about more. But even defensively, because of that like little breakdown in the second half, I hesitate to say that this was a really like solid performance, and it's why I'm like not so pleased with with overall with the things that went on. I do think. Because you mentioned Odegaard was a step slow. That's one way to put it. The way I perceived it watching it, it almost looked like he was playing in slow motion. And not in the type of slow motion that like, oh, like <laughs> you know, like the, a genius who puts the game into slow motion, he's a step ahead. It just looked like his he was literally in slow motion. Like he, yeah. he was a bit hesitant with the he ball. He didn't look fit feet. to me. No, he didn't look fit, and and then I thought that was contagious for the rest of his team. I thought the rest of his team also, in turn, were playing in slow motion. Like yeah. the buildup was, you know, early on especially, because this also goes back to the last two times Real Madrid played against Real Sociedad. The one at the Bernabeu in November, which they won three one, until Fede Valverde scored the game winner in that game. Real Sociedad went toe to toe with Real Madrid, and nearly came out on top. But then the Fede goal just unlocked everything. Um, up until that point, and also in the Copa game, I thought their vertical passing was pretty pretty good in those two games. And part of it was because Real Madrid were not that compact defending in their press. And even in this game early on, Casemiro was high up to pitch a couple times, and they, they put a lot of space behind him. And Real Sociedad would get the ball in that initial pass, but then it was just like, you know, it was like... They're, they were in like the lowest gear possible after that, after they crossed the halfway line. And it just felt like it starts with Odegaard because Odegaard energy to me feeds the rest of the team. And if his energy is down, the whole team's energy is down. So I think it, it definitely was correlated that he just didn't look like himself. And um, and and, the, and and that this is the shocking thing about Odegaard. I didn't have any notes on him because he just was a ghost. He was like... I couldn't, it was even hard for me to nitpick what he was doing wrong because just, he just wasn't there. I mean, the couple things that you can just quickly say about him in terms of like what he was actually doing wrong, uh, apart from literally playing in slow motion, was that, you know, he, um, he also had his pocket picked once in the second half. And I don't remember who picked his pocket, but he had the ball deep in his own half, and they just one of one one of our players. Yeah. Just oh, I remember picked, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah picked the too. ball off of him and, and and took it from him, and then um, he had just a couple bad passes. Um, I will still apply the rule, though. You know, this is we're coming back from quarantine. I don't expect him to continue to be a superhero and go into supernova mode right now. 
Um, but I mean, should he what? even have played this game if he had a knock? Like, really, was it necessary if he was going to end up playing the way he did today? Well, I think they're so reliant on him. And, like, you've seen it. Like, the past three games, he hasn't been at his best. And, like, people will argue that Marino's just as part, as important. But, yeah, but uh, that's not true. it's not true. It's not true. Like, Odegaard has been everything to this team. And they're 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 clawing and trying so hard to make the Champions League spots. And I feel like they've now um, – it's that great, great quote from Ancelotti where – the decima wasn't uh, an obsession. It was just, it was a healthy goal. And I feel like for them, it's become more than an obsession to try and get the Champions League. And they just haven't, like, it's, I feel like they're overthinking it. Their players aren't at their best level. They've dropped points and they're in this weird men- mental place right now. And then I just, on top of that, there's reports that Odegaard's had muscle issues. And I think you can, you could see that today, and you saw it in the last game against Alaves too. He just hasn't looked himself, and so they're not the same team without him playing at his best. Do yeah, no, I would. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I'd say I agree with that. Um, I mean, Keon, you go ahead if you're going to talk more about Odegaard, because I was going to talk a little bit about Isaac because you know we're shitting on Real Sociedad so much. I thought I'd talk about one player that I thought impressed me in the second half. Um, so, yeah, if you're going to talk about Odegaard, go ahead. Well, just that, you know, he... I don't remember which game it was or if it was a string of games, but Matt, if you remember, maybe you don't remember. I just remember talking about on the loan track that there was one game in particular that he missed this season and Real Sociedad actually looked great. And that, to me, it wasn't because he missed the game, but it was, you know, earlier in the season, if they played without Odegaard, they'd look lost. But I think he infused that team with a lot of confidence and that... Pretty much he made every player around him better. And then the one or two games where he missed, you kind of saw the energy that they fed off of him. They carried that over to the field, and Yanuzai had a big game in, in that particular game, which I don't remember what it was now, but they won. Porto stepped yeah. up. So I, I didn't think it was like inconceivable that they could play this game without him and come up with a win. It's, you know, it's, they've, done, they've had good performances without him before. But I just thought it wasn't... You can. It's maybe it starts with Odegaard, but I would say this whole team looks a little step slow right now. Um, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah Isaac, so one, go ahead, because Isaac was also murdered us in the Copa del Rey too, and he just had a good season. <laughs> yeah. So, so obviously, very, very quiet in the first half, just down to the reasons we talked about defense. Odegaard struggling. Second half. Um, this is coming obviously after we 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 step we removed our uh, foot from the pedal when it came to the press. Um, I think this is when when he really started to shine because what what I love about this guy and why he's been one of my favorite players this entire time this season, which is why early in the season I thought he should be starting all the time, is because his movement off the ball is just extremely intelligent. I I just love his movement off the ball, the way he receives between the lines, the way he turns to combine like. We also see that at their best, right? They they have like the, the, the deeper, like almost double pivot that isn't a double pivot that I was talking about with Odegaard in the right half space. Eventually, they'll get it to Odegaard. And when Odegaard turns, he has the options on the right. And then he has Isaac dropping into that space right in front of him so Odegaard can turn to combine with him. And he just has this great synergy with the team that, that his movement just, it just enhances everything around him. So in the second half... We're staying in this high. This is obviously after Benzema's goal, after we step off the press. We're staying in this high block without pressing. So it stretched us out. And so that's when you start to really see um, his, his, his off the ball movement come to the fore because he starts moving 
all over between the lines, um, moving moving across the width of the, the pitch, sometimes threatening to run off the shoulder of the defenders, and it starts messing with Casemiro's movement. So if you look at like the the shots or opportunities sequences, the threatening sequences that Real Sociedad had before Isaac went off, all of those were him doing doing dropping off from the from the front line, making some kind of movement that manipulated Casemiro's positioning, and Real Sociedad were able to effectively exploit the fact that Real Madrid lost their vertical compactness. And so I thought his movement was really sharp. And if Real Sociedad were going to get back into the game, it was going to come off something he did between the lines and manipulating something with with his movements. As it turned out, he ended up getting subbed off and Real Sociedad ended up scoring without him. But I thought he was really dangerous in about those like 15 minutes between like the press falling off and him still being on. And yeah, I just I think he's been one of the more underrated players, um, not just in Real Sociedad's story this season, but I think La Liga as a whole. And I think he's got a really bright future. And I'm excited just as a football fan to watch how it develops. Let's talk about. Um, well, we've talked about the one a little bit. Um Maybe one thing we didn't really mention. I, I've mentioned this in passing a couple times over the past couple of years. There was a time where everyone was obsessed with bringing Diego Llorente back to Real Madrid for some reason. I was never that high on him. And today <laughs> I thought he was a disaster on that on the, on the, on the penalty conceded def- trying to defend Vinicius. Um, Real Sociedad's goal... Asensio comes in and kind of just ignores Merino at the far post. So that's just something I think worth noting. Yeah, that was clear as day to me when I went back and looked at the goal was Asensio just completely lost track of Merino. I mean, he wasn't, he was, he was jogging back and he just had no idea who he, he completely lost sight of his mark and just hadn't, no awareness of what was going on around him or no urgency. I mean, the rest of the back line was converging centrally to mark the more dangerous the more dangerous player, and then he never followed along and kind of made that sprint to cat, catch uh, Marino, and so there you have it. There's a goal, and that's, that's, that's kind of the... I mean, when you're a substitute, you have to be switched on when you get into the game. You can't be having mental lapses like that, and I know it's harsh on Asensio uh, coming in after however many months out and uh but like that's that's the type of stuff where like you cost the team goals and that could have very well led us into a fortunately real madrid weathered the storm but it could have been the last 10 minutes where we were just facing a barrage of shots barrage of opportunities and rail social nicks a point i mean that could very well have happened um so i mean that's you for a substitute, you you're always told you have to be switched on, you have to be ready to go, you have to be aware of kind of all who your mark is going to be, what the tactical ins and outs of the game are, and I think I think he that was a moment where he's going to have to learn from that. Yeah, I I mean I not to let him off the hook because I think he absolutely has to do better there, but I think that's the weakness of 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 like us not really adjusting our defensive structure when we wanted to press, right? Because that entire sequence starts from we're really high up the pitch, like starting all the way up from um, from our striker to the back line. And that entire sequence is just us being in retreat the entire time. So when you put yourself in that position where every single sequence against the opposition, you're just always retreating based on every pass they make, I think there's higher chances that 
players lose their mark because like it's just not natural to just the entire time just be running backwards but regardless having that being said like I think yeah I agree especially since Asensio is a substitute he needs he needs to track that man and it ended up putting us in a, a fairly difficult position to end the game um well do we have anything um one thing I want to uh point out since we uh, gave him a hard time i think it was the last game how about that pass from courtois uh to oh it's set the easiest yeah. yeah that was, a good, that, was a I was, that like that could be a game changer i remember casillas used to do the drop kick and just ignite counterattacks with with his drop kicks and just hit people on a dime and i mean if courtois could ever add that to his game and like actually do that consistently that would be a game changer for real madrid yeah, especially that... especially over because because the short passing, I I just don't have faith in it. Like that's just something at this point that I just think it is what it is. But because like goalkeepers have always been trained, I mean it's obviously changing now, but back then have always been trained to hit it long. That's something I have a little more faith in Courtois, perhaps fine tuning and adding to his game. And like you know, in terms of like realistic improvement, that's so yeah, like that that's a good spot, Matt. Um, I yeah that 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 could that could like just even if it adds three or four goals throughout the season, that that could be huge. I think that was the after the A bar game we were talking about his performance, right? His uh, his distribution. I don't think it was the Valencia. Yeah, yeah it's, it that, was especially yeah, his that, short that. distribution was yeah really bad. Because I thought I I was actually going to mention that um, I thought against Valencia he had a couple good good passes out of the back uh and one of them was a throw but uh yeah the a-bar game not so much um <clears throat> i think i mean just a couple few things from my notes and maybe we didn't we didn't get to um i like f- again we didn't see much of it because just the this the way this game unfolded especially in that first half it was mostly each team was just playing in their own half um, patient build-up that never really got anywhere and some good pressing from both sides. Fetty, like, when he gets into that half space, is actually lethal. Like, it's an, actually a weapon that is hard to stop um, in that right half space because he's so good at making the run there and oftentimes he doesn't get it, but sometimes he does get it. And in the second minute, he made a really good run there that uh, he just he he puts a cut back. I think that's the one that leads to the Vinicius shot on goal, but I can't remember. Um we mentioned Varan. Matt mentioned him. I mentioned him. I thought he was good defensively. A couple of good interventions. Kroos quiet, but also had a couple of really nice interceptions in midfield. And Marcelo, you know, really good press resistance. He just kind of turns around his marker with, with ease. I mean, I, I don't think he had a great standout game, but, you know, he had a couple good moments in the buildup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Casemiro was pretty good again um reading the passing lanes putting pressure on Odegaard anytime he had the ball some really good switches that helped progress the ball up to feel a little bit in the first half when it was kind of labored in doing so and you know a couple of things here and there I don't know if it's worth bringing up but yeah I'd, what, what else did you guys have yeah so I uh, go ahead Matt well, the only other thing I would um, add is on, on Fede is obviously we call that Benzema goal a little scrappy, but at the same time, I mean, credit to Fede for going down that byline, still kind of finding a way to get the cross in, 
finding Benzema on that lofted cross and uh, putting in that work there. I think that that's kind of an underrated thing that's uh, not been talked about in this game. And then another, I was just thinking about it because I had it in my notes. Um, early in the first half, this hasn't been talked about, and I don't like to go into the refereeing controversy, but this was uh, a moment that I thought, I thought to myself, hmm, this that could have been called was Marcelo was, uh, if you guys recall, taking, took a hit in the, in the box and he was, yeah, yeah, claiming yeah, yeah. it was a penalty and no, and nothing I mean nothing ever came of it but I mean there was there was a moment there too as well I thought I, I actually thought that was going to be called I because the too, replay me showed to me it was a foul but I don't even know if they went I believe VAR they must he must they must have told something to the referee like whether they need to check it or not but whatever it was they didn't they didn't call it but I actually upon replay I I thought it was going to be called but it wasn't called and and then we just never saw it again yeah, so I have, I guess, three separate things to touch upon. Um, one, because you guys were both kind of talking about it, was like the Benzema goal. Um, Fede, you know, is a bit scrappy, right? It, just this game in its entirety was quite scrappy, but Fede does great work to eventually kind of win that 50-50 goal. Does a really brilliant job to put that cross in after spinning around his marker, but... Benzema, and it's been completely overwhelmed by the by the controversy over whether it was a handball or not, but Benzema does absolutely brilliantly to bring that down and then, you know, create that space by cutting back inside and then shooting basically in the opposite direction. The keeper, I think the keeper should probably do a little better there, but that is a goal that is almost out of nothing, right? When when When, when you look at where Benzema is receiving it at, and the fact that he has to receive it on his shoulder, like you just don't think that, oh, yeah, definitely a goal is coming from here. And Benzema just does brilliantly and really his only chance of the game to find the back of the net. So just, you know, building off the last performance, just, you know, Benzema has, has really been carrying our offense. Um, and, and and plays like this are invaluable where he he's literally just creating a goal out of nothing. Like maybe in a different, different instance where it wasn't so controversial, like, I would see a lot more praise for that, but that really was a spectacular play. Um, yeah, but those types of plays were few and far between, right? Like in terms of, yeah, I had some qualms with the defending in the second half, but really offensively, we're talking about four chances, right? We're talking about the, the first two in the first half, right? Benzema on the counterattack, we has that left-footed shot, the one where Vinicius manages to cut inside and puts a shot on goal, the penalty in that Benzema shot. Otherwise, it's not much. Right, obviously we we have more XG than Real Sociedad, but the majority of that, about half of that, coming to the penalty itself. But really, offensively, there's not just there's just not that much. And I thought it, a lot of that was I thought Real Sociedad did a fairly good job pressing, which is like, you know, they have this particular like asymmetric style, right, where they they have like the the striker kind of guard the left center back, and then someone either the winger or Odegaard will step up onto the right center back, and then someone from midfield or Odegaard himself will step on the defensive midfielder. So they form this, like, three versus three at the back, and depending on which wing um, the opposing team plays it to, everyone kind of falls and compresses on that side, right? So, like, if you just think about what they're doing numerically on face value, you're like, well, they're outnumbered, right? Real Madrid would have the extra man in midfield, but because they're doing it in a wing-oriented fashion, they, they, they have the ability to just, you know 
fall compress and say okay there's the man on the far side hit him if you can and that's something we also see that I've been doing all season I just think like you know in terms of just a technical sense they executed fairly well in this game like probably the only good thing they did collectively throughout the game and I thought it did a fairly decent job of stopping Real Madrid um the the only time, like, I really thought, like, because th- we did play through the press, but that mostly came from just hitting Vinicius. Like, that was Vinicius through his own movement, creating those options to break the press. And and as we progressed throughout the first half, I thought, because we were trying to deal with Real Sociedad, we started to get so fluid, you know, Casemiro dropping in, like, to the right, right center back position, Carvajal forming a three-man back line. At one point, Carvajal was sending a pass down the line to Casemiro on the right-hand side. It started to get way too fluid that it started to get all out of whack. And that's when I thought our offense, like 30, 35th minutes started to look a bit weird or whenever it was before the cooling break. And then towards the end of the second half, it started to pick up a little bit. And then obviously Benzema scores early in the second half and, and like the dynamic changes in real Sociedad has most of the possession. So like, yeah, offensively, definitely some things to improve there in terms of how we were building up from the press. I thought Vinicius bailed us out a little bit there. Um, and then, yeah, the the final thing I just wanted to say was like, we never touched upon this, but Sergio Ramos goes off injured, and I don't I don't know if there are any news coming out afterwards, but we don't know how bad it was. But that was that was pretty depressing to see right right after he scores the penalty, and then with a bunch of different statistics coming out that whether it was 17 straight penalty, the team 17 penalty, or his 20th straight penalty, or whatever, like right after that coming coming off, having it examined, having this big ice pack around his knee, and you know you just got to pray that. That's nothing serious given the type of immense season he's been having. Well, Zidane spoke about it a couple times in the press conference and basically just said it doesn't look good, but at the same time he thinks it's just a knock. So it kind of he contradicted himself. But I what does that mean? It I don't know, but he I think he basically what he was trying to say <laughs> was that um, Ramos is in a lot of pain, but then but that hopefully when you know they examine it tomorrow, it'll be nothing more than <clears throat> just a knock. So that's I, I don't think we'll have another update until tomorrow. That gives that gives me no confidence whatsoever. That just makes me more scared. Um, we should congratulate Ramos also because his goal today puts him the uh, ahead as the highest goal scoring defender in La Liga history, yep. which is wild because Fernando Hierro scored like a million goals and Fernando Hierro played a lot as a midfielder and Ramos is now and Hierro took a lot of penalties and free kicks too but um, to, the penalty took today looked like he was a striker I, you know he was just very cool calm collected side footed finish with power with accuracy into the left bottom hand under the sorry right bottom hand corner and he looks he looks great I gotta tell you the beard is growing on me. I think the beard looks good. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure Dude. at first. It looked a little bit patchy to me, but it's... I like I, I don't like know about look. that. I think you can pull it you off. and your... <laughs> you also like... You've also liked Gareth Bale's like extremely like messy like samurai looker man bun whatever. Like you just associate it with good performances and then you're like, <laughs> well, I decide I like this aesthetic now. Well... Ohm's taking shots here. Bale... I mean, Bale... Bale's whole thing is that he has that bald spot that he's trying to cover with him with the man butt. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think he should have just went the Iniesta route and just let it kind of just fizzle and let it dissolve into thin air. And that's and, even worse. I know, but at least maybe he would have been as good as he was in Tottenham with the short hair. That's 
You guys don't believe it, but there's real yeah, science behind it. Yeah, you and your weird hair. Oh, no, I believe it. I 100% believe it. We've Matt's talked on about board. this before. Matt's on board. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> but no, I, you don't go. think he look. I think he looks great. Um, but but that aside. Ramos? No. Well, does anyone does anyone still have issues with Ramos taking the PKs? I mean, he's been... No, I mean- Perfect. I mean, I was a huge, I was a critic. I, I was 100%. I was a critic because he, he didn't, right, he didn't have that many penalties um, at Real Madrid, right? But he had some with Spain where he, there were, there were, there was just like this time where he was just like three of six, like, you know, for Spain, where there's like in certain penalty shootouts, he was taking in friendlies. And, you know, that was all the sample size we had. And I was, saw that and I was like, no, I mean, I, I mean, I'd still be nice, right? If like Hazard could, you know, get some goals like that way because that that's actually been a big portion of Hazard's goal scoring tally um in the Premier League was the fact that he was a penalty taker for Chelsea also just for Benzema if he could take those penalties he could he could compete with Messi for the golden boot which would just be really cool and I'd be able to like type out more annoying tweets like you know Benzema <laughs> Benzema's better than Messi we never needed Ronaldo and stuff like that but yeah I mean when it comes down to the pure effective effectiveness of it I think Ramos is has clearly proved that, like, if you're just talking about the result, there's no reason that Ramos shouldn't take it. And I think Christopher in Christopher McCormick's article, right? It was him who did that breakdown yep. of Ramos's goal scoring just before he did this. In it, I think he wrote about like how Ramos faced, you know, all this pressure after missing that penalty uh, against Bayern, and just all of it just for the next year with memes, right? If you remember those Facebook memes about. Yeah. Um, Ramos missing the penalty in Sky, and that really affected him. But what that did was it told him, okay, I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen again. And it, it did. At Spain, he ended up missing a couple more. But it's clear he really, really put in the work, and it's it's paid off in a huge way now that he's the, the main penalty taker for a rounder. And that's just something that I, I will always admire about Ramos, that work ethic, that desire to just constantly improve no matter what, which is why at age 34 or whatever, he's having arguably his best season ever at Real Madrid. <laughs> I always enjoy the career arcs of players when they totally flip the script on their the narrative that surrounds their you know their career. Like I think Ramos and Marcelo are like the two that really really stand out in terms of they've completely flipped the switch on their legacy and that. I would say maybe around the same time for Ramos, so I say it was around 2014, and for Marcelo maybe maybe a little bit later. But they went from memes to essentially just being the greatest in their position of all time, or at least in the conversation among the greatest of all time in their position. And uh, yeah, the the Ramos redemption arc since 2012, that Bayern penalty miss has been amazing to follow. And hmm. uh, and. He just he just plays with the confidence and swagger and a leadership that is is clear to see. Well, we hope that he's going to be the diagnosis is going to be good tomorrow. Um, that's uh, something we can hope for. Is there anything else, gentlemen, before we wrap it up? Nothing for me. All right. Yeah, I think I got I touched on everything I wanted to. Yeah, okay. go ahead. Go ahead. Um, no, that's it. We're gonna wrap it up. Uh, we'll be back. On, what are we playing? Like every three days now? I think the next game is Wednesday. Quick double check. Wednesday, uh, yeah. Wednesday against Taikafusa. Kubo, if he plays. Kubo. Uh, Mallorca game on Wednesday. So Matt and I will be back on Tuesday. This is a jam-packed week because we got Tuesday. We have um, 
we have the Lone Tracker podcast. Wednesday, we have a post-game show. And then Thursday, we have the mailbag. All three of those episodes will be on, on patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Make sure you join the Patreon army. And stick around for part two coming up. And that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining the show. And hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Before we get to part two, which is Journalism Corner, we wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our amazing patrons, but specifically our $10 patrons who get a, not only a shout out on the podcast, but also get guaranteed responses um, to their questions, among other awards. So shout out to Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Bellaccio, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Rantakiro, Leon Savernakis, Christian Gonzalez, Ilian Zacco, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Tyler Simon, Sad, o- Sad Omar, Oluwapamimo, Oledonjoy, Christian Toff, Charles Williams, Tarek Sphere, Kunal Tilakar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Urim James, Ragab Potluri, Jeff Thurston, Gary Kohut, Sujai, excuse me, Sujai Wani, Peña Maririsa, San Francisco Bay Area, Brandon Stevens, Catherine Fagundo, Rafael Servia, Karen Scherer, Somanchu Singh, Brandon Powers, Nelson Masariego, Umar Mahadi, Rovi Tahiev, Anthony Armesto, Shabazz Sharapov, Barun, Ashik Bashar, AMB6901, Faisal Hamdan, Alex Perez, Muxi Thangal, William Merchant, Sergio Arisva, Graham Girard, Alex Silvernail, Matan Baron, Kevin Rivera, Michael Cruchon, Zafar Chaudhuri, Keith Lizenby, Tobias Arroyo Botcher, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Solomon Ortiz, Fabian Moreno, and Philip Hammer. Thank you guys so much for your support. You guys are amazing. And here is part two. All right, welcome to part two of the Managing Widget Podcast. It is Journalism Corner. It is the fourth time we're running this segment, and it's become a very popular segment, and we're going to keep it going. As always, the Journalism Corner is journalism advice that I believe you need to hear that you won't hear in the mainstream. And it's more about peeling back the layers and getting down to the nitty gritty of how you can inherently motivate yourself to keep going. Um, if you've kind of, if you listen to all the segments so far, they've all been less so about grammar and structuring your sentence and proper journalism and proper paragraph structure and more about the deeper lying things, which I believe are far more important than that stuff. And that is how to keep going, how to make the right connections, how to make a name for yourself, how to do it how to develop your brand identity, and all that stuff. And we're just getting started. There's so many interesting things to delve into. And um, I would say at least 20% of the conversations I have with my clients are about this stuff. It's about peeling back the layers and unearthing your potential by discussing like what actually will motivate you to keep the work going and not fall off and not lose momentum like 95% of the podcast and people who try to get into this thinking like, oh, I want to talk about sports. That's exciting. Then they just lose momentum. Um, Funnily enough, episode three, I discussed why reporters ask the questions they do and how it works and why it works the way it does. And there was a whole thing about this, which I won't rehash here, but I think it ties in because tonight's press conference, the post-game presser, was all about this subject where every single question of the post-game presser was about the referee. Nothing was about football. And to the point where Zidane kind of did his version of the Kevin Durant, don't you guys want to talk about basketball bit, where he said, and I quote, 
I like to talk about football, about the match. It annoys me when a refereeing issue becomes the focus and is the only thing that's talked about because it makes it sound like we've not done anything on the pitch. End quote. Well said, Zizou. And I discussed in episode three why I think it's going to change, why I believe it'll change. And there's a whole nuanced discussion about it. And uh, I spent about 30 minutes at least combined talking to Lucas Madnum about this whole thing after tonight's press conference. Um, and so it's a fascinating subject, and I'd urge you to go listen to episode three. But it, and anyway, just kind of tied in ironically to what Zidane said in the postgame presser today. This week, I want to talk about energy and keeping the momentum going because one of the most um, asked questions that I get is, how do you do it? How do you go three, four, five podcasts a week plus writing one or two columns a week plus working on your book? plus making a few TV appearances, plus keeping up with the day-to-day, plus all the analytical research, plus juggling the content, making the schedule. And the answer is very simple, and it maybe will catch you off guard, maybe it won't, but it's just that energy will feed energy. And I know it sounds counterintuitive, but I'd ask you to ask yourself a question. Three to five podcasts a week, do you think that's for you or do you think that's for me? Honest question. How much value do you think I get out of, it, out of it and how much value do you think you'd get out of, it, out of it? I'd hope that you would get a lot of value out of it and I believe that's why you're listening to this and why you listen to all these podcasts is that you know we do our homework, we talk, we bring some entertainment value to it. We try not to be too monotonous in our work. We try to have fun, not take ourselves too seriously, but at the same time, respect your time and do all the research and bring our A-game to the table. But I would say... It's also equally, if not more, just for me. It's, for, it's just for my way of practicing and keeping my momentum going. Think of it this way. Um, the, more you, the more healthy food you eat, the more healthy food you want. The more you exercise, the more you want to exercise. On the flip side, the more you lie down, the more you want to lie down. The more you sit and eat chips, the more you want to sit and eat chips. It all feeds each other. Everything is linked. All the energy you can... You can feed off of it in a good way or a negative way. It's the same thing with journalism. Um, right now, it's very interesting because because of this whole COVID thing and we're returning back to football. Everything's condensed. The schedule is crazy. Real Madrid are playing every three days. So it's very difficult for me to write one column per week. So that one column may actually turn into two columns. I don't know. I'm not sure yet. I'm trying to still kind of juggling. I'm, this is all new for us, right? We're learning on the fly. But one thing for sure is that the rate that Real Madrid plays in and all the storylines that shift and change from game to game, um, and there are a million storylines and things that, to the point where if I write something one week, it'll be relevant for maybe a day or two until Real Madrid plays within three days. So to juggle it this week, I had to, my column went up Friday night after midnight. So depending on where you live, you may have read it Saturday morning. Or if you're on the West Coast of North America, you may have read it Friday night when it went up on your time zone. But I basically started that thing Friday night and I had it published over midnight. And it was about 2,000 words, had plenty of kind of video analysis in there, a lot of stats, a lot of analytics. And it was almost a combined post game of Valencia plus a pregame of Abar, or sorry, of Real Sociedad, where I look back at the two Real Sociedad games this season one in the Copa, one in the league, plus the Valencia game, and then kind of went over Odegaard's situation, Real Sociedad situation, kind of how the tactics might line up. And that is going to be relevant for a day or two. Um, in this case, about 48 hours, I'd say. Because I think even after the game, 
is over, you can go back and look at it and see if what I wrote in the pregame held up and if it made sense. And so do you think I would be able to write that column had I not written in a month or two? Absolutely not. So the reason I keep my content going is so I, that I can put out more content. Energy feeds energy. That's the rule. It's very simple. It may sound counterintuitive, but that's the rule. So it's a very simple formula. And all you have to remember is that energy feeds energy. So this is part of the reason why you lose momentum. A lot of people lose momentum. They do one podcast and this is great. They might do a podcast next week, the week after their podcast guest or host flakes. And, and or maybe you don't want to do it anymore. Maybe you're tired that day. You don't feel like doing it. Then it becomes a two-week gap. That two-week turns into one month. You might record one two months from now and be like, I'm back, baby. Then you lose momentum again. And slowly it dissipates. It dissolves into thin air and it's gone. It's disappeared. And you go back to whatever you were doing, nine-to-five job. All the respect to you. I have no problem with that. But if you really, really want to build a life for yourself where you can just do this full time because you think talking about sports is fun as hell, then you got to be disciplined. You got to have momentum. In order to do that, you got to go feed yourself with content, 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 get in the habit because that's what's going to build your energy to do more. Now, don't make the mistake of taking this advice in a way where it doesn't apply to you and thinking it does and running away with it. Be smart about it. Um, while I believe and I tell all my clients that you should be writing every day, even if it's 100 words a day, just keep that momentum going. It's it's a very important thing that works for me. And I believe that everyone should kind of get in that habit because sometimes you don't even have to publish anything. You just have to write one paragraph. That one paragraph means you're doing a little bit of more research to write the right thing and it just kind of feeds itself, right? Um, be smart about it. Don't burn yourself out. Don't go on one hour of sleep and then email me and say, hey, I tried doing that every single day. Now I'm a zombie. Now I have health issues. It's all your fault. I think I have said this before, but I have friends and family who work in the film industry in Hollywood and in big markets around the world. And, you know, they they are well connected with pretty famous directors. And it's interesting because they tell me stories that I resonate with about these these well-known directors in that if you follow them, like if there was a YouTube vlog of them, like a day in the life of X director, you'd be very interested and curious because a lot of their a lot of their quote unquote like, you know, kind of follow them around work, it's not actually work. It's not something you would perceive at work as work anyway. And it's just like them playing tennis, playing basketball, squash going for a swim, going for a hike, going in nature, meditating, socializing, going out to eat. And that's because the creative process works in a certain way whereas where you can't always just sit down and just get writing. Sometimes you need to step away in order to be inspired. So be smart about it. I'm not saying that you should do it absolutely one way. Do what resonates with you. But if you don't find what does resonate with you, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to fall off quickly. So again, kind of peeling back the layers here. Journalism Corner is not about telling you where to put your apostrophes and your brackets, although we do cover some of that stuff in my program when needed. It's not always needed, but sometimes it's needed, depending on what level you're at. But Journalism Corner is more about peeling back the layers, unearthing your potential, and talking about what really matters. Um, Because ultimately, the stuff that is going to be applicable to journalism and making you succeed in life It's not just about journalism. It's about every aspect of your life. Because once you can get down the habit of doing the right things every single day, you can start copy and pasting that to other aspects of your life, like the gym, 
like your like like your food intake um like like anything in life if you go back to episode one a lot of it was just about socializing you can't do a podcast with the right energy if your social life in real life isn't in check um and 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 it's not that hard to stand out from the noise in the journalism world these days. There's a lot of amazing upcoming writers, don't get me wrong. And I even spoke about this in the last episode. But you'd be surprised at how many people that even are just well-known and famous are, you, you're, there's, there's a chance that you might be better than them. Um, now, that doesn't matter if you don't know how to market yourself and you don't know how to put yourself out there and out, outwork those people because a lot of those cases, those people will just outwork you no matter how much talent you have. But you'd be surprised that even some of the greatest writers in the world, they don't have the social side down. You see them, I've met them in person, I've read their work for years and years and they're socially awkward. And and when, and it's hard to kind of have a podcast. It's kind of hard to go on TV in those situations. It's kind of hard to verbalize an analysis in those situations. So episode one, going back to it, if your social life isn't down, if your ability to verbalize and connect with others isn't down, it's going to be very hard to do a podcast. And your your podcasts are, are going to go from free-flowing and unscripted to robotic and monotonous. So, again, peeling back the layers. This is what Journalism Corner is. This is what I want, I hope, can re- that you can resonate with. And if you're looking more of, more of like um, the proper sentence structure and where to put your periods and your commas and your abbreviations, then I'm sorry, but you can do a Google search for that. That's not what Journalism Corner is. Um, So I hope you found this helpful. And if you want any specific topic covered, email me, Keon, at keonsobine.com. I'll try my best. Uh, I can't promise. I do get a lot of requests, but I will try my best. Uh, Likewise, likewise, you can message me on patreon.com slash managingmadrid if you're a patron. And I do have a mentorship program. You can feel free to email me. I'll send you more information. But yeah, Journalism Corner, kind of fun. I hope it resonates with you. And uh, Ain't nobody Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up.